This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. The Jason Kavnis Experience is brought to you by Kavnis HR. Cabinets HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Our guest today is Ken Charman. Ken, are you ready to be great today? Yeah, I am. I'm ready to be really great. Thanks for the invitation. Ken has been involved in major enterprise software projects since 1987, specifically in financial consolidation and reporting systems, and has built high-performance teams and IT startups that were acquired by Oracle, SAP, IBM, and SunGuard. In 2009, he headed up Simulstrat, a spin-off startup in the King's College London Department of War Studies that ran simulations and corporate war games to test business strategy, including response to the swine flu epidemic, and was later sold to Deloitte. Ken is now the CEO of a tech startup company called Uflex Reward, a cutting-edge HR tech platform that correlates all costs to do with employees' salary, pension, bonus, shares, to one real-time platform. The technology was built for Unilever, underpinned by agile methodology, now has been rolled out across Unilever globally. So case study again presents a master's students at the University of Oxford. Ken, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here and I'm looking forward to a really good discussion, Jason. So Ken, um, do you consider yourself an HR person, a software tech person, a business person, a combination of all or something entirely different? Yeah, no, a combination of all and many more things as well. So uh, I'm, I'm also a, a visiting researcher in the Department of Medicine at Newcastle University. So my specialism there is on inequality, um, uh, which is a big subject today. It's really big, isn't it? So um, uh, and especially the way that income inequality affects health. Uh, and you you probably know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. People in the lowest income decile in the UK and the US uh, have 10 years left, less life expectancy than people in the highest income decile. Uh, so when we pay people, we have, uh, which companies do, and HR is responsible for that, uh, we have a direct impact on, on the ha- their health and how long they're going to live. And the more unequal uh, the, the payment regime is, uh, sadly, uh, the greater the effects it has on health. So that, that's one side, um, my public health and, and medical academic interest. But on the other side, I'm an HR person. Yeah, I've worked on this project at Unilever for 10 years uh, and it is directly related to how we pay every single person in Unilever. So the two things that I work on, the two big things I work on, uh, meet in the middle. That's completely by accident. But I'm an HR person, um, uh, become so in the last 10 years. Now, a couple of months ago, you wrote an article in a magazine called HR Technologies, and it was titled Forays to Offer um, offer um, uh, Different Options on Low-Paid Employees. Can you talk about that a little bit? Can you talk about how... You know, low-paid employers really don't, don't do employer engagement because they're worried about getting rent, paying basic needs. So, how do you expect to be in, like engaged, right? Yeah. No. So, um, yeah, you, I'm, I'm proud of Unilever in this respect. Uh, that Unilever has been such a pioneer in lifting up low pay. Yeah, uh, uh, it's signed up to global living wage. Uh, we take a real interest in in everybody who works in the whole um, reward hierarchy, in the whole pay hierarchy, um, and uh, there's kind of been, I guess, really since McKinsey came out with the paper about the global war for talent at the end of the, the 90s, there's been a, an acceptance in HR that um, in what I, I um, follow Malcolm Gladwell's view on this and in, in, in the belief in the myth of talent, <clears throat> the belief that uh, we should put all our emphasis and focus on the top 1% or the top group of people in the company who create the value, we think, yeah? Uh, and the, the, as we go further and further down the status hierarchy, down the pyramid, uh, people become more and more commoditized and, and actually you can swap people in now. That, that, that's been the way that HR has been organized 
really for goodness me 20 years now actually I, I don't agree with that I think there's a shift coming uh, uh, and the discretionary effort and the contribution that people make all the way down to uh, the, the people who are doing jobs which um, uh, tend to be uh, dismissed or, or, or low valued in every way low value status low value in, in reward people who've kept the bit keep people who've kept economies and companies going the people who had to turn up um, to man machines to clean the building to guard the building the people on the lowest pay actually turned out in the last um, couple of months uh, and, and still the case in the US because you, you, you've still got large areas of the country which are um, which are experiencing uh, a real challenge uh, with COVID. Uh, these are the people who put themselves in harm's way and we need them and they've proved it to us. So um, we need to find a way, we do find a way in Unilever of looking after those people and paying them well. Um, and it's not all about driving the maximum amount of sweat out of a human asset as you can um, uh, in order to satisfy uh, the accountants or the ROI. It's also about being responsible, making ESG actually really mean something uh, and coming up with reward mechanisms which keep you competitive in your market at the same time. So reward to me is the is the kind of um, a neglected area in HR. Um, it, it's an area where um, it's, it's 20, 25% of the expenditure of most companies. Um, uh, and, and it deserves to be treated, uh, a bit more scientifically. Uh, and the way we pay people, uh, we need to take more account of in terms of the effect that has on not just the business, but everything else that goes on around the company. Ken, how much do you think empathy needs to pay a role in this? You know, like, so example, you have a, a good employee, they're one of the top employees and they will say, you know, they have a death in their family and they take the time off of the death, but a month later, they're still not performing like they should. I mean, I mean, we shouldn't give them a kind of break, right? Yeah, sure do. <laughs> yeah. But I know, some people, I know some people like, you know, back to the grindstone, I gave you, I gave you your three days off for the funeral, you know, get back to your hundred percent productivity. Right. Yeah. Well, I think if you're in a, in a very liquid labor market, if you've got excess supply of labor, you can get away with that sort of behavior. If you, if you're in a market where you're competing for good people, the best people, then you're not going to get away with that kind of behavior. The world will get around. Um, but let's put supply and demand to one side and let's talk about what it's like to be a good corporate citizen. This is becoming something discussed more widely now. You know, the Edelman Trust Survey, which was published at Davos earlier in the year, talks about business being one of the last bastions of your employer, for most people, is one of the last bastions of trust. You trust your employer. Certainly Unilever has got a really long tradition uh, of looking after its employees. In, back in Victorian times, it was very paternalistic. It built housing. It provided shops. It provided insurance. And it's clung on to that. And I think it's one of the reasons it's been such a long-term success. And you can think of other companies that have done that. But sure, if you want to, um, if you want to exploit um, the availability of of low cost labour, um, you can be like that. But I think I think that the trend is going to come towards, especially with younger um, uh, uh, younger people who've got a, a, a much sharper focus on social justice and what's right and wrong. Um, even even if you can get away with that, you're going to lose clients. You're going to use, you're going to lose uh, your ability to attract talent. You're going to lose suppliers. Yeah, it's it's not the future. Um, but it worked well in the past, no doubt about it. One thing too, you have a good point. A lot of companies, they, they take a long time to build their employer brand. It takes a long time to have a great employer brand. But I think a lot of companies don't realize how quickly they can lose that, right? Just one small misstep, one misguided thing, and all that hard work of building up your employer brand is gone. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think if you look at, uh, if you talk to risk professionals, uh, then the thing that, that scares them even more maybe than a, than a pandemic or, a, you know, the next, the next highly improbable natural event um, is a reputational risk incident where, where the company can disappear overnight because of one slip or one, one flaw. Um, and, and we can kind of see that the nervousness around at the moment as, um, as race, which is an explosive issue uh, and something which has been neglected 
for way too long, has burst into the prominent position it's in now. Uh, and I think there's probably lots of lots of organizations, lots of individuals who are taking a good look at themselves and thinking we should have done more in the past. Uh, we've got to clean things up really quickly now. Um, and there's some liabilities here that we, we've got to, um, we got to manage uh, because we didn't do such a good job. Uh, and reputational risk. If you if your name is on the wrong side of a campaign, it, it can it can finish your business. So uh, let's talk about COVID nineteen and remote work. So a lot of companies are doing remote work now because of COVID nineteen. So I, I'm, I think it'd be an interesting item coming up. COVID, eventually, COVID nineteen is going to end. You know, hopefully, you know sooner than later. And I think companies are going to be telling their workers, "Hey, I know you. Are we all come, come back to work now? Are we to go back to your two-hour commute? Come back to your cubicle?" And I think yeah. people are going to say, "Hold on, wait a minute. We prove we can be even more productive at home. Why are you going to make us come back to work like this?" Yeah, isn't it an interesting subject? Do you, do you work at home yourself, Jason? I yeah, guess you, I work, you do a lot I, of the time. I, yeah, I do, yeah. I do both. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me, me too. So I, I go, I commute to London. Um, I go up on a Tuesday. I come back on a Thursday. So I'm in London three days a week. And and, and there's something about being in the office uh, in a in a startup uh, organisation like mine, uh, where we've got a fairly small team. Uh, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. We're in a hurry. We got a big mission. We're really passionate about work. There's something about the extra energy and creativity uh, that happens when human beings all get in the same place. Yeah, and, and I don't think we can replicate that remotely. Having said that, I don't think we need to be in the office every day of the week. Um, uh, and and here's a, a, an interesting development. So we we are a startup. We're a a Unilever-owned subsidiary, but we operate really independently of the parent company. You know, we, we, we're not even on the HR system. Yeah, We've got our own pay structure. We're, we're completely independent, but for compliance reasons, we, we report up all the regulatory channels. Um, so Unilever, like every other big company, has, um, uh, had, um, uh, has taken um, care of its staff and asked them to work from home for the last three months. Um, and sure, there's some really big savings that you could make by shutting down some of those huge prestige offices that you've got uh, around the world. Unilever's got a fantastic office right in the River Thames in London. Um, but something something went missing as well. And, and marketing and, and knowledge working and imagination companies, they do need to get people in one place. So so actually, last week, we, we were told um, that, 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 that the business is going to... Um, create a new campus uh, for for uh, an office location. But I, I suspect, I mean, I, I, I'm reading between the lines, I suspect it won't be, here's, here's your desk or even here's, um, here's a hot desk area for you. I think it's going to be much more of a collaboration environment where teams come in and they book facilities um, and they may be in for a couple of days and then they disperse to go back home and, um, and uh, work away in their own cave and then come back in again. I think that's going to be something which is... Um, which becomes more commonplace, and you probably know that the stats for uh, cities like San Francisco, New York, Chicago show that there's depopulation in the last three or four years as the prices, the rent prices, not just of office, but for living space has gone up um, and and talented people have had to move out. Uh, in, it's like a cycle, isn't it? They've moved out to the suburbs, but they're still going to want to go back in the city. So you, you give people... I think a choice there. I think I think people will find that development well welcome. Uh, that remote working is here to stay, uh, but um, working in complete isolation um, is not. And here's a, a thought for you: work from home. Um, some people have thought, "Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to move to a really nice area of the country and uh, uh, somewhere much cheaper, you know, by the beach, and I can work from home and I can save money and have a great lifestyle." But let's just bear in mind that home can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be in England. It doesn't have to be in the US. Home could be in an emerging economy. It could be in a um, a high skill, low wage economy. Yeah. Um, because internet connections are so good. So um, the, the work from home uh, has opportunities, and for some people it will pose threats as well. Yeah, It could mean that, that jobs migrate 
again, another wave of jobs migrate. Who, who knows? We're, we're only just beginning to digest the, uh, uh, the consequences of what's happened without anybody expecting it to happen in the last three months. You know, it, it's kind of like I, I look at it and I think we've crammed three years of change into three months. Yeah, the way we just pushed the whole workforce out. Imagine the change project that would, you would have had to go to to push the whole workforce out of the office for three months. God, it would have taken 10 years. Exactly. So, uh, but we proved we could do it. Yeah, human beings are so adaptable. We proved we could do it. Now, like I, I believe in remote work, I think it's a good thing, but also I'm smart to realize that a lot of people are not far. A lot of people can't handle remote work, right? A lot of people, like I know there's some extroverts that got to have the human interaction. Some people need a boss right, to tell them what to do. So remote work, I don't think is definitely not for everyone. And it's, I think that's a trick moving forward. How do you know which of your workers are good at remote working? You know, like, like for me, example, like I like work from home, but I don't work good at home, home right? I'm, I'm getting up every 10 minutes, eating, getting a snack. I'm taking a shower nap to watch some TV. You know, I'm taking a nap, you know. So I'm not yeah. that productive of the house, right? Oh, God, we're making confessions. Let me give you my confession. Yeah, my, my Fitbit makes me get up every hour. Yeah, so I go and do my 100 steps. But I don't just do that because I've got a really big backyard and I've got a, uh, uh, dare I admit it online, I've, I've got a, a nine-hole golf hole. <laughs> So I, I pitch balls. I put a dozen balls down, hit a dozen balls at the flag, and then I come back to the desk. Well, actually, I come back to the vest in much better shape, so I can justify that. But I think you're right. You know, pe- people are adjusting to it in different ways. We've been really flexible uh, with our business. We haven't had um, uh, core clocking in times. Uh, we've given people the, the permission uh, to organize their own day. And, and and in we're a we're a real future of work business. My my company, Uflex Reward, we're so future of work. Uh, we're off the. We're not even. We're not even in this planet. Uh, so nobody has a job description. Uh, we don't have any performance objectives. Uh, we don't have set hours. Uh, we don't have set holidays. Um, but we do have a group mission. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the people in the company identify with that combined group mission, uh, and we kind of expect people to uh, contribute, uh, to work hard, uh, to look for who's needing help, uh, to offer help if you've got spare time. It's self-organizing, and, and and that is working. That is working really, really well. But I look at it and I think that's exciting. That's enticing. Uh, could you scale that? Could you generalize that? Could that work for everybody? I don't think it could. I think it works for highly motivated groups, but there's going to be other groups who need more support, more help, more supervision, uh, more structure to their time. And, and they, they feel more secure in that kind of environment. So what it's going to be um, a spectrum uh, of, of ways of working uh, with remote running as a theme through that, uh, I think. Yeah, I want to follow up that in just a minute. But I think it's funny right now, like all remote work, I say all the extroverts are saying, I can't take this no more. I need people. Give me back the office. The introverts are like, yes, do more Zoom, do more Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you can be kind of extrovert on Zoom, can't you? But the, the, nothing beats the, the you know, the, the, we've got a bunch of senses. And it's more than just seeing and hearing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, you, you do need the proximity of other human. A man is a social man. Woman uh, is a social animal, um, uh, and there's a chemistry. I don't know. We can't measure it, uh, but there is something different about all being in the same place together. And, and I hear lots of um, lots of executives talking about that they're, they're going to do remote meetings and they're not going to get in the private jet and they're not going to go zooming around the world anymore because that was a waste of time, money, wasn't it? But ask any senior salesperson or any senior deal maker, do you think you've got more chance of making the deal face to face? They'll say yes. Yeah, definitely. So they'll be on those planes again. Yeah, they definitely will. Things will come back. I'm, I'm, but not as much. Yeah, there will be an adjustment. Yeah, like me, I consider myself an introvert, introvert, introvert. Even I'm like, okay, I gotta. This is ridiculous right now. We need yeah. some social interaction pretty soon. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So tell me how your company does business. Like no job descriptions, performance views. You know, like what I call the employees utopia, right? But like you said, it doesn't work for everyone, right? How do you like? How do you know the right people to recruit? Can you know highly motivated people, like top one percent? How do you go about finding these people? Right. Yeah. So, and this is an interesting dilemma for HR because what we're doing is very much a test bed 
within Unilever, and we attract a lot of attention because there's, as as you know, there's there's lots of uh, literature written about the future of work and agile working and and dynamic uh, self forming teams and moving away from rigid job descriptions and uh, moving to portfolio skills across a team and uh, flexible hours, flexible contracts, the opportunity to work for more than one organization at a time. You, you, you talked, I'm a systems person originally, you know, I came into HR by accident. And, and, and if you as an HR person just, just kind of bleh, that all over me and I'm thinking, how do we organize this? Yeah. How do we keep records? How do we give this structure? How do we document it? How can we audit what's going on here? Because what you just described to me was anarchy. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, uh, people want a lot more freedom. Employees want more freedom. Employees want personalized packages. They, they regard themselves as really an individual brand these days. And, and big organizations are struggling to compete with startups. Yeah, there's so many more startups around now, and it's a much freer environment to work in. We, we, we work in a weaker work office right in the centre of London, right next to the Bank of England, and, and the buzz in there is fantastic. Of course, you'd want to work there rather than in a, a big glass corporate building where you, know, you, you move from floor to floor as you progress through your career. Uh, so how does a big organisation give the freedom and creative environment but still have structure? That's, that's a question for, for systems uh, people. On the reward side, which is, which is what we do, it, we, we, are, um, we manage global reward for large multinational companies. So if you take an organization, it, and, and the software was developed by Unilever <coughs> and then spun out to, to be sold to other companies, we got 160,000 people in the Unilever system in 130 countries. Yeah. And that's complicated because we might have a grading structure for the business with salary bands on each grade. And we've got a job catalog, which is in the workday system. But when you acquire another company, they're not in that system. When you want to do an innovative startup like we've done, we don't want to be in that system. Yeah. But you've got to have control. You've got to have line of sight as to what's going on. Um, so in reward terms, uh, what we've done is create an environment where, sure, you can, you can uh, go the old-fashioned way. You can say, Let's, you, you want to work for me? You're an accountant. You've got three years' experience. I'll look you up on the scales. Uh, there, here you are. Here's your fixed salary. Here's your bonus. Here's your uh, benefits, entitlement, your pension, uh, your stock purchase scheme. You might get options. Well, that's the package for you on your grade. That, that's done. People who work for me come and tell me what they want. Uh, and some of them don't want pension. Uh, they're trying to save to put a deposit on a flat. Um, some of them have already got health coverage through their partner. Uh, so basically what we do is just say, well, here's the amount of money we think we're going to invest in you. You choose. In fact, I say you go and spend it on your own stuff because you can probably find it um, a better deal than the brokers who supply big companies. But if you do that at scale, you have to have a way of recording it and you have to have a way of recording it all around the world. Um, and, and that's really what our system does. Um, it, if you imagine like payroll in big organization, like it could be any big global multinational, you don't have one payroll. You don't have one pension administration scheme. You don't have one benefit supplier because benefits around the world can include things like embalming dead relatives, rice allowance, chocolate allowance. Yeah, it's kind of out there. It all look, it looks good in a spreadsheet, but out there, uh, there's uh, there's so much going on. So what we what we do, um, uh, Jason, is we. We don't try, this is really clever, yeah? And I know you're a clever person, so you'll understand it. We don't try to bring in the actuals, yeah? What we do is we've asked everybody who works in HR and Reward, what are the policies, yeah? What are the policies you, you have locally? And then what drives the policies? Uh, and it could be, it doesn't have to be grade. It could be any factor. Uh, so we then 
We then have the policies one side, we have the eligibility criteria the other side, which is generally stored in the HRIS. Um, and then we join the two together and we create a simulated world, which is pretty close, reconciles very, very closely to the actual world. And then with that, we can model uh, and we can monitor our pay equity report at Unilever is always on, it's real time, it's up to date because we got this simulated environment and, and it updates daily. Yeah. So we have, we can cope with the fact that you employ people um, on a mix of skills uh, because you can say, oh, well, what do I pay this person? Uh, they're going to do, uh, on our project, they're going to do finance three days a week. Um, they're going to do a day a week of marketing. Uh, they're going to do some project management. You know, they're, it's a hybrid job. That's very commonplace in startups. Big companies want to do it. What do I pay them? When in a startup, you kind of strike a deal. In a big company, you can just say, <clears throat> especially if big companies share their data, which they will, you can just say, let's just do a search. Let's do a search on no skill factors, and the uh, the result of the search will tell you what the grade, what the pay is for the job. Yeah. So if if twenty people come back who match that profile, there's going to be a top earner, there's going to be a medium earner, there's going to be a lower earner. There's your grading structure. Yeah. It it's dynamic and it changes by the day. You know, you don't have to wait for the annual salary survey report to come in to see how you compare with other companies. It's instant. <clears throat> so what, what we did with this system is build a, a multi-tenant architecture so that many companies can all be in the same system and we can anonymize the data. So when they benchmark a job, uh, they can do it instantly, as long as permission has been given, instantly across the whole universe of organizations in the system. And you've got an instant fix on what that person there earns now. If we talk about the really explosive topic of the time, which is equality, yeah, pay equality by an increasing array of factors. In the UK, uh, we have gender pay uh, reporting, statutory reporting. But this year, it expanded to, it caught companies in a trap. It said, if you say you're an equal opportunity employer, now we're going to hold you accountable for equal opportunity. So that brings in all the other factors, um, which means that you've got to prove that you are taking the right measures to ensure that no minority uh, is suffering from bias or, or suffering from unfair pay. That's a huge data exercise. Most companies just use samples on that. Uh, actually, when we run a, a query on that, we're running it against the whole database um, uh, uh, with filtered, you know, by I don't know, country, grade, job, Whatever, I'm machine gunning you, aren't I, Jason? <laughs> but but I, I hope what I'm doing here is um, giving you an example of a modern, unstructured, boundaryless HR system. Yeah, uh, where where the the data doesn't have to be forced into the straight jacket of columns and rows and tables like we had in Generation Two IT systems. Yeah, this is unstructured uh, and actually. Um, it's the intelligence of queries which is bringing you the structure. It, structure comes after the event. Yeah, we can see everything, uh, but it's the query which gives it its meaning and structure. It's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Skin, how you deal with this? Like you doing like the the, the the different jobs, different pay structures, and someone you know they tell you what they want, and you know, and employees talk, and they see someone else getting twenty five percent more than them. How do you deal with that? Do you just say, well, this is what you asked for, you got to keep it, or do you like, how does that work out? Right. Okay. So we, we, we are the, we're the messenger. Yeah. So my company, uh, we serve data. Yeah. So when, when something like that happens, uh, somebody in a big company somewhere else is going to say, uh, this is, we've had this claim made. Uh, is it true? Give me some data on this. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, we're going to give you the data, and the data will you know, mo most times probably prove that it's, it's not true. You know, it's an exaggeration. Somebody's not been telling the truth about what they earned or whatever. But then um, there are lots of other factors. As anybody who knows who works in this area will know, there's lots of other factors uh, besides a human being is identified by many, many characteristics 
Yeah. So, so there's the obvious one, or it used to be. Uh, there's the obvious one, agenda. Well, that's that's really expanded in terms of its definition. But now identities are, uh, it's almost exponential. And then you've got combinations of identities. So actually, when you start looking at that, you are going to probably find there's a reason for it. And if there isn't a reason for it, um, uh, get your pencil and paper out, HR people who are listening. If there isn't a reason for it, you've got to do something about it. Yeah, You've got to correct that anomaly. Yeah, uh, And as long as we've substantiated it and we can see it's a fair claim, uh, you, that it doesn't, it's not the result of an intentional policy, uh, then the correction can be made uh, and everybody's happier because we all want human capital. We all want human capital capital to be fairly rewarded and properly rewarded on an equitable, consistent basis. But, but the, the key to it is data. Yeah, At the moment, um, uh, big companies don't have access to reward data. It, it's because it's, it's run in so many separate systems, payroll, pensions by country, uh, benefits, suppliers are regional. These systems aren't integrated. They don't talk to each other. The only time in most big multinationals that you get the whole set of reward data data for an individual employee in one place is when they get their annual end of year total reward statement. Yep, because it's it's quite a manual thing to put together for most companies, and they give it to you and say, "This is what we invested in you this year." And day one of next year, it starts to go out of date. And it gets progressively out of date through the year. What we've done is make that a real-time system. So any employee on any day at any point can immediately see what the company's investing in them. So that, that's a transformation. Yeah. So this is my third on equal pay. So and I think this is what the challenge is like, oh, you have a guy and a, a, a man and a woman both get hired for the same job, same company. Yeah. Both get, get offered 80000 a year. I yeah. think stats show 90% of the time the guy's going to say, well, I'm worth more than this. Give me more. And the company's going to give him a raise. We'll say tonight to a hundred thousand, right? 9% of the 10, the female is going to say, thank you very much. And so <laughs> it's starting to start 80,000, 80,000. 80, it's now 100,000, hey, 80,000. You tend to stereotype it. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. You know, and then, I think, and then next year, yeah. and then next year's a 10% raise. Next of course, 10% again. and yeah. it's yeah. bigger and bigger, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's easy to stop that. It's really easy to stop that. Yeah. Because with systems like the one we've got, whenever there's a movement in in a, in a reward package for any employee, um, it could be promotion. It could be a discretionary pay award. You know, it could be a retention award because they're threatening to leave. It could be uh, you're recruited somebody in. Yeah. Uh, when that happens, the the individual who's taken the decision should get a report which shows them the comparison of that person who's asked for the raise with other people who are on this, of a similar status yeah and and that 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 is um uh, it, it's it's in psychology terms, it's, it's a kind of anchoring effect there, yeah, which is if you see you're about to break the ratios, if you see you're about to, do, to satisfy that person there, what you're going to do is, is break the rules and you're going to do, you are, with your decision, you're, you are introducing unfair pay. Uh, then that manager will work harder to find another way to retain that person or to explain to that person um, that we can't do that, yeah? Or if we did that, then we're going to do it for everybody, yeah? And if we do it for everybody, where does that lead the company? <laughs> it's really it's really making managers manage. A lot of these... Imagine that. Unf- yeah, no, yeah, imagine it, yeah? It would be a good day, wouldn't it? But if you give people the data... It's like um, a speed camera or something. Yeah, it's it's the horse it's the um, uh, the horse form effect. It, it, if somebody's being observed, then they behave better, don't they? Yeah. So now you're being observed. Uh, you're going to introduce that change there, uh, and it's going to uh, it's going to unbalance the system. Your name's on it. Yeah. You won't do it. Yeah. But but in order to do that, you need to have really good data uh, uh, serving, and most companies don't have it. The, the, the reward systems are so disconnected that they, they don't have access to that. So, can your system that's data driven is like is like a algorithm that runs the background, or how does all this work? Yeah, I, do you know what? 
some really, really clever people in my business have <laughs> developed a system that I don't understand. Um, now, it's, uh, I joke. Um, it, 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 what we've done is, is it's, it's your classic new class of enterprise IT system in that what we've done is taken logic and rules out of hundreds of spreadsheets and we've codified them. We've, we've come up with a, a really easy to use programming language. It's not really a language. It's really drag and drop, uh, a way of documenting and programming reward policies in one central databases. Base, yeah. Uh, so Unilever um, has for its 160,000 employees um, in the spreadsheets around the world, there used to be pushing 20,000 different policies um, of, of, of reward, yeah, for all the different things that have grown over time, the specials, the one offs. Uh, and nobody knew what those policies were. The, the people who, who ran the spreadsheet, local spreadsheet, did, but group is kind of like, well, we know what the big number is because we, we, we pay checks out, but we don't know what the principles are behind it. We've dispensed with all that. There's now one one central um, system for um, documenting reward policies. And if you want to go outside of the company's guidelines, and sometimes you do, sometimes you're, you know, you're signing the next uh, Michael Jordan, you're going to give that person uh, a special deal. Well, there's an exceptions uh, uh, area as well. But once again, you tread in the exceptions area, you better have some good reasons for it, yeah, because the organization doesn't like exceptions because if you just allow it all the time, everything's an exception. So um, that programming language uh, is the thing which solved a challenge uh, which nobody thought could be solved. It's so complicated uh, global reward with all the different regulations. Here's an example. And I hope we get onto this subject as well, because to me, I'm, I'm, if there's one thing I'm passionate about, it's we can't have massive redundancies around the world because of COVID. Yeah. So, uh, but it's going to happen if we, we in HR don't stand in the way of it. And, and I believe we have a moral duty to stand in the way of it. And I believe we can. It's, it's up to us to, to, to show to lead the way on this. But if you want to make people redundant to cut costs, why do you do it? Well, it works. It's the most simple. It's, it's the fastest way to cut costs, but it's still complicated because every country in the world has its own regulations about how you can make a person unemployed. Yeah. And in some countries it's really, really difficult to do. Uh, so we, we, in our system, we have a database of, of severance uh, regulations for every country in the world. And, and I hope we never, I hope we never flick that switch. Uh, but we could. Now, if you look at pension regulations, health tax allowances, you, it's just, Multiply it by the, the countries in the world; it's huge. Yeah. So why do people? Why do we go for the redundancy route? It's because if we were to say, "Here's here's a question for you," we we ran it as a poll on our website, and your, your uh, listeners could, I think, they can still vote in the poll. If I was to say to you, Jason, "Geez, we got to say twenty percent out of uh, out of people costs," yeah, because revenues have just fallen off a cliff. So we've got to do our bit. We've got to save 20% out of people costs. A company uh, like P&G, that's probably $10 billion more a year. Yeah. How are we going to do that? Oh, by the way, uh, you can't make anyone redundant because six months ago at Davos, I made a big speech about ESG and I said that our employees were our greatest asset and we're committed to them. Uh, and if I make lots of people redundant now, um, uh, that that would be inconsistent. So um, you, you've got like two hours to come back to me with some ideas here on, on how we're going to save 20% off the, the people cost bill. Well, that's a real scenario. You can you can say, well, uh, um, I'll make one fifth of the workforce redundant. That saves it. But if I can't do that, what else am I going to do? Another thing you could do is just say, let's put the whole workforce on four days a week. Yeah, 
So you, you could do that. Yeah, the maths is pretty simple. So we, in our poll, said um, it's like a game theory poll. If you were offered the choice of um, a one in five chance, a random chance of being the part of the twenty percent who lost their job, yeah, or you've got a four in five chance of working four days a week, which would you go for? Yeah. We, and, and of course, our audience is HR people, yeah. So it's practitioners, it's professionals. I won't, I won't embarrass you by asking you what you go for, but I can tell you that we had eighty-seven percent of HR professionals saying four days a week, yeah. So in their hearts, HR professionals want to avoid that axe, yeah. So you know, we we, we uh, uh, and um, so the giveaway um, that I. I'm offering um, to anybody who's listening um, is free access to a scenario game uh, that we have built, which is based on a global multinational firm, uh, which goes through that whole process of, well, how do I say 20% of cost without making anyone redundant? Yeah. And so that it's an online um, game. We're looking for, uh, anyone in the world, HR people, business people, employees, to come up with creative new ideas on how we can bring costs down and preserve jobs. Yeah. So, and and that that um, uh, we've we've tested it with senior executives who do this for a living. We've tested it out on lay people. Anyone can play the game. You can play it as a team. You could play it as a dinner party game. Yeah in which you all got around the table with roles and you had to come up with ideas and compromises on that. And I really hope um, that the HR community uh, says this time we're not going to have, we're not going to do the easy thing. Yeah, We, we, we are going to find, it might mean that we've got to find a hundred small ways to save money, uh, but that will be worth it. Yeah, And we've got to then persuade the senior execs, the shareholders, employees, government, uh, that this is the right way to do this. Because we could still have a V-shaped recovery, yeah? We, 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 why do we want to lose people who are loyal to us, highly trained, experienced, um, uh, colleagues, friends? Uh, if we try, when if we tried a bit harder, uh, we could keep them around because in 18 months or two years, we're going to need them back. In the UK, Rolls-Royce just shed 20% of its workforce. Yeah, there isn't one person who isn't a highly trained engineer who just got their cards. Yeah, that's tragic. Uh, 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 and the airline industry will make a comeback. It, it, to me, it doesn't seem logical. I don't know about you. So anyway, the war game gives you a chance to sit in the hot seat, come up with your own ideas. The data that we supplied is authentic because it's based on on data that, you know, we're the data people. We know about global reward data. So it's got a grading hierarchy. You've got uh, great, you've got pay rates, which are appropriate to different countries around the world. Um, uh, so you can, you can, you can enjoy the fun and games, which is going on in, in HR departments who are fighting hard to, to keep people's jobs uh, and you can do it at home and send us the answer because we need it. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, so you've been involved with software for a few years. What, yeah. What's changing software? I mean, as far as like marketing software, selling software, developing software. Uh, let me tell you what hasn't changed. <laughs> I'll tell you what hasn't changed. Um, software projects, you, 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 you're in a pub or you're at a dinner party and somebody asks you what you do. You say, oh, yeah, I work in enterprise IT. And immediately it's like, oh, God, yeah, we have those projects. They're always late. They're always over budget. They never do what they're supposed to do. It's like you, you'd be better off pretending you did some other job, yeah? And that's never improved. It's never improved. Even with the current new generation of systems, it seems as a sector we in technology – raise huge expectations. <clears throat> the way that software is bought is, is generally competitive tender. So there's pressure to bid low and hope you can then get the price up afterwards. And if you're told the truth, you think you never get the deal. So you've got like a system that's designed to fail. Uh, uh, and then 
I hate to see implementations where the team who is implementing is given a fixed deadline, uh, and then they they kill themselves trying to get something finished by the end of the by the by that date. Yeah, so that's not changed. Now we this this I hope makes you laugh, Jason. Yeah, we 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 I am talking to you here as the CEO of an enterprise software company, um, and you're going to be paying. If you're a big company, several million dollars a year to use our system, yeah. So it's, you know, it's a substantial system, and you'll be sitting there thinking, "Yeah, I don't mind doing that if you're SAP or Oracle or Workday, um, but aren't you the Ben and Jerry's guys? Yeah, don't, don't you make soap and ice cream? So why am I going to buy software from you? You know, because the experts can't even supply it and and put it in on time and on date. So what chance have you got? So. Anyway, we had to come up with a way to change that paradigm. Um, uh, we're, we're a high-profile project because you don't get a new business like this off the ground without C-level approval. Uh, uh, and the the one thing above anything else that I've been told has been made clear to me is you can't have one failed project, yeah, because you've got the reputation of this firm, which has taken 150 years to build. And, and we can't have anybody um, upset about software that doesn't work. So we've, we've turned the whole thing on its head and we've said to the, the prospects that we have, um, you, can't, you can't buy it until you can prove to us that you're worthy of it. Yeah? It's, so we build a prototype using your data and your people so you can see exactly what it's going to cost if we go global with it. Yeah, so it's the whole system. It's not a cut down. It's not a pilot. We we build a system with you, part of the system. Choose your hardest countries, and we'll put the whole system in. Then you can validate the benefits. Then your business case is based on evidence, <clears throat> so you can be certain of it. And when you've got to that point of confidence and certainty, then we can sign a contract. Yeah. So it's gone the other way around. It, it, it's uh, you, you don't. It, it's it's our risk and our cost because you know there's server time and there's consulting time. But our view is that's the response. That's the way that we would like to ha- to be able to buy software. Um, it's the way, and and that de-risks the whole process. Yeah, if it doesn't work, then you wouldn't sign the contract, would you? It, it just makes so much more sense. So what hasn't changed? The way IT is sold. Um, which is, uh, you know, I, I understand why. I understand why, uh, because actually it's, it's reward. The pressure to bring in revenue and satisfy projections given to analysts uh, and to um, pay big commissions to salespeople creates moral hazard. Yeah, we're removing that. Yeah, and, and I hope we always will. But, you know, one day. One day, maybe somebody will come in and say, "No, be like everybody else." But if they do, then I'll go because I don't want to be part of that anymore. Yeah, how's that for an answer? Great answer. <laughs> Can you talk about us a little bit? But talk about the pros and cons of having a company like Lunilever uh, supporting you. Oh well, it's a dream come true. Yeah, because you know, here, here I am. Um, you can see me. You can see how old I am. You know, I'm nearly sixty-four. Yeah, I've, I've, I've just been around the block so many times so, uh, you know five six startups you know five trade sales an IPO I had one that went bad uh, and then for 10 years I was just doing advisory work uh, helping people with struggling projects that's how I got involved at Unilever this this project was struggling and I came in and helped them turn it around and then it got better and better and in the end I said well should we set up a business um, and but I, I'm I'm talking to you from my from my farm in the west of England with a lovely country pub up the road, and I've got my you know I've got my classic car and my golf hole, and it's like the, the idea was I was going to come here and not work anymore. Yeah, it was like you, you've proved enough to yourself. Um, you've got some money. Um, enjoy this 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 time in life. But if a company like Unilever says we'd like you to set up a new business. What are you going to do? It's just fantastic. You know, they're, they're one of the, they're one of the biggest brands. They're one of the most respected companies in the world. Um, I work with senior people in that firm and I got to say, I've worked in, with senior people in other big multinationals. 
this lot are just so much better. Yeah, they're, they're human. Um, they're they're responsible. Uh, they listen. Um, they've they've got a learning mentality across the organisation. Um, they're decision makers. They back themselves. It's just dream come true. Yeah, uh, and so I can joke. You know, I can say, oh, "Well, we're a software. We're an ice cream company selling software, but it's not really, is it? We're Unilever. Yeah, it's kind of like this is." You, you, you have to, you can't say, so what to me? Yeah. It's like, well, does it work then? Yeah. Come and see it. Anyway, we're going to build it for you because we've got the resources to be able to build it before you pay a penny. It's just, just, you know, it's dream come true. Yeah. And you're especially not going to say no when you have the drive and fire and focus, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and I'm working with people who are much younger than me. Practically everybody is, uh, but I'm working with a, a young team who are, they're just great fun and they're, they're, they're teaching me uh, and I am able to give them some advice and pointers based on you know, good experience and bad experience. It's working really well together. You know, it's, it's like a club. Uh, it, it, it's great. You know, I, 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 I don't tell anybody, but I would pay to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> Ken, so you, so you, like you said, you've been involved in startups for a while. Can you talk about your own entrepreneur journey? Why you got started being an entrepreneur? What makes it so fun for you and why are you still doing it? Well, okay. Um, yeah, I have to do talks on this. Yeah. So I, I do talks on this at, at, at Oxford. I do it uh, in Unilever. I got a, an off the shelf answer. Uh, uh, and the person I look to for the answers to that question is Schumpeter. Yeah. So are you doing it for the money? No. Are you doing it for the glory? No. What are you doing it for? Because you're a creator. Yeah. You, you feel that something deserves its chance to exist. Uh, so if you talk to somebody who's a construction engineer who works on building bridges or dams, or you talk to an artist or you talk to a, I don't know, uh, a, a great performer, uh, they can't give up the experience of bringing something to life and seeing other people appreciate it and standing back and think, well, I was involved in it. There's, there's a great story about the, 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 the person who was sweeping the floor when they were building the Hoover Dam um, uh, and, and whoever your president was at the time, I think it was before Roosevelt, um, but that it was eventually open. Anyways, there's a tour there and they said to the guy who's sweeping the floor, what are you doing then? Yeah. And I, he wasn't sweeping the floor. He was building a dam. Yeah. And, and you feel part of that if you're an entrepreneur. It's, it's an addiction. Some people want a really secure, stable life. Um, uh, and I respect that. But a true entrepreneur just can't resist that, that chance to go and create another new thing. Yeah. It's, I think it's, you're born with it, but also you condition yourself to it. It does become an addiction. Yeah, and I, I recommend it to anybody. Yeah, entrepreneurs are the future of the world. Um, they're looking forward. They've got to create the new jobs. They've got to create the new businesses. We need more of them. And I think some people could argue that being an entrepreneur is more secure than having a corporate job nowadays. Yeah. Well, I do. Yeah. So I. If I showed you my CV, um, it, it would show that uh, my average time span over a career in in a job is not quite two years, yeah, because not everything works, yeah. The, the longest I've ever been anywhere is five years. You know, if it works, you're bought, yeah. So then you're out. Um, and of course, my generation, uh, people I went to school and university with, they've they've gone into banking, they've gone into big blue chip companies, they've gone into the armed services or, or uh, public service. They've gone the whole way through decade after decade. And now they're out with a pension, yeah, which is great. Actually, that's not going to happen anymore. You're right. Yeah. So um, you, we're all going to have to become entrepreneurs of one form or another. Um, and I feel sorry for people who would like to have more security, who, who would have liked to have had that, um, that um, job for a lifetime um, security. Uh, but I would reassure them that if you work hard, keep reskilling, you do an honest job, you uh, keep good relations with those around you, 
you increase your chances of being productively employed, doing stimulating things, doing things that you like to do, learning new things through the course of a career. That You're going to have to do it, so embrace it. That's um, a great point. You got to reskill. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I've I've been to university what four or five times yeah to to get uh, skills upgrades it's it's a cost of a career yeah you've got to put money aside to keep up skilling yeah uh, and um, I've heard it said that uh, in the tech sector now the half life of a skill is dropping to two years yeah so you know C sharp used to be like you know command your own price I guess I guess there's something else now that you're coding in yeah. Um, but you've got to always be looking to well, what's the next wave. Yeah, don't don't get caught um, uh, beached high and dry. Yeah, Ken, what's your vision or your goal for your company? Ah, <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm going to give you a cliche answer, but I really mean it. Yeah, which is um, I I regard the business as almost like one of my offspring. Yeah. It's got, you've got that kind of emotional attachment to it. You know, you were there when it was an egg and it hatched and you, you bring it up. And I just, I think the easy way to do this is to really nurture and care for your business and do everything right in your business and make it successful. Um, and you only get good outcomes if you're successful. Yeah. You can carry on and grow it and grow it and grow it and become the next Google, uh, or, uh, somebody will come along and buy you. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't have a target exit or end point for the business. My, my approach is, and it's not my idea. I heard somebody else say it. So I, you know, I nicked their idea. My, my idea is do a good job, create a good business and an exit or the future will find you. Yeah. So it's a really simple way of running the business. You know, every day we have a strategic plan. We have a strategic goal. Our strategic goal, I'll tell you, is to get 60 clients in uh, five years. And if we do that, then we'll have a, uh, a business valuation of a billion dollars, Yeah, just on 60 clients. Uh, but if we have 10, we're still a success. Yeah, if we survive, we're a success. If we survive and we pay everybody their wages, we're a success. You know, but I'm not going to make compromises in order to hit a target. Yeah, we're doing this in a very puritanical way. Yeah, we have to because we can't have one failure. <laughs> yes, Ken, I understand you have a, a gift for our listeners today. Yeah, it's the war game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and um, uh, and. Uh, and um, you can get that by going onto our website, um, uh, which is uh, the uflexreward.com. So that's U, letter U, flex, reward, or one word, dot com. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, then uh, my please email me. My, my uh, personal email at work is ken.charman, that's C-H-A-R-M-A-N, at uflexreward.com um, uh, and it's uh, it's a great gift. It, 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 if you work in HR, if you work in reward and you've wanted um, an opportunity to show your friends and family what you do uh, and how challenging and rewarding it is, then download that scenario game and, and you've got the, the, the perfect gift there. And Ken, do you have, can you uh, um, share the rest of your social media for you and your company? Yes, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do I do that? <laughs> uh, I, I just, I'll just put the links in, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, of course we can. Yeah, okay. of course we can. Uh, and I did send you um, uh, a video, uh, which is the actual video we created to show the Unilever board what the system does. It, it's a, because it's, it's, there isn't another system like it in the world. It's a new class of product. Uh, but the video puts it across really well. I think it's only like four minutes long. And anybody who watches that will have a much greater sense of understanding of what we do than you will have by listening to me waffle on about it for the last half an hour. Yeah, uh, But the video is really good. Um, and we'll put the link in for that as well. And to our listeners, we have the links to his, uh, to his email, his gift, all social media and the video and the show notes. And you can find the show notes at www.cabinetshrblog.com and be sure to share this episode. Ken, so we're coming to the end of our talk. Can you give us any wisdom or advice on anything you want to talk about? I'm going to go back to 
that plea uh, to HR to stand up and lead the world. It needs us uh, in this moment of crisis. Yeah? So it's not advice. It's, it's a request uh, that we show the way, uh, that we, we show that there are other things besides the acts uh, that we can do uh, to help companies survive uh, and cut costs uh, uh, and create a fairer society, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm asking people in HR to do what they really want to do, uh, do a great job. Ken, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, it's about quarter to eight in England, and I am now going to make a pizza on my wood burning pizza oven oh, and I'm have jealous. a beer. And, I'm jealous. And I, and I hope everybody listening has a great Friday night too. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.